Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. This morning we're going to take a, a brief pause in the midst of our study, uh, the book of Isaiah. We're going to come to a passage that is, um, or a series of passages that have been greatly upon my heart um, in the midst of my times of study uh, for school and different things. This is some of the things that I've been looking at, examining, uh, specifically how it impacts um, those of us that have been called to preach and how these things should transform us and um, do a work in our lives. And today my hope and prayer is, is um, it's a little bit of adaptation. I shared a similar message um, at the Russell Creek Association this past Friday night, but um, several folks had shared about the importance of us as a church hearing about the Spirit's work, and so I've hopefully modified some of that to maybe fit a little bit more contextually the church as a whole. Um, and so this morning, I, I want to bring before you the work of the Holy Spirit um, in our, our personal lives, uh, that we would have a holy life. But not only that, but in our time of preparation, the time as I prepare to preach, teach others in this church who, uh, Brother Todd, who come to preach, um, others who teach your Sunday school class or share with you, many of you who are teachers um, of Sunday school, children, youth, um, but also for you individually, as you come to spend time alone, you and just the Lord, as you spend time as family studying God's Word, that there ought to be a work of the Spirit illuminating from this passage to you and I, and then... Ultimately, in our sharing, our preparation of proclamation of the preaching moment, but also as teachers, as those who share the gospels, individual saints, as you let that light bear through you, there ought to be a continual, a perpetual work of the Holy Spirit all throughout your life. And so today I call before us a holy life, the holy text and the Holy Spirit. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000, it's on our website, you can see it there, um, check it out more under the About Us tab, but I copied and pasted here just to give you an idea of what's, what's even the Holy Spirit do, right? What's the work of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is defined here again, just reading from it, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He, these are going to be words you're going to catch on to later throughout the message, He inspired holy men of old to write the Scriptures through, look what it says here, illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, this moment of salvation, he, the Holy Spirit, baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. Further, he, cu he cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. He seals the believer unto the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. The Spirit does all this, yet Francis Chan, in his 2009 book, writing about the Holy Spirit, entitled it this, The Forgotten God. Stephen Alford in his book, Spirit-Led Expository, or Spirit-Anointed Expository Preaching, says that there have been several things throughout the period of the church that we've missed. He says, in the Old Testament, as you look, the sin of the Old Testament was specifically, they forgot about God the Father. As we look at the New Testament, the sin or recognition there is the fact that they, the sin of, the fact that they, 
they forgot about God the Son. And then as we come into the contemporary church, he notes that the sin of the contemporary church is that we have forgotten God the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham, when writing about the Holy Spirit, says this simply, the Holy Spirit, again, the word you heard earlier, illuminates the minds of people, makes us yearn for God, and takes spiritual truth and makes it understandable to us. Now, it's not simply that you would know what the Scripture says, right, intellectually, not simply that you've taken it and it like, okay, I understand what that Scripture says. This understanding is one of practical living also, that it moves simply from your head. It transforms your heart and begins to bear witness in your life. And if you've ever had moments like that, you ought to praise the Lord for the work of the Spirit in your life. It is indeed an evidence of your salvation. So let's get to it this morning. First, the work of the Spirit, a call for a holy life, a call for a holy life. Listen to Paul as he writes to the church at Corinth and he tells him in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read just these verses and this is what we're going to work through today. Again, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I, come, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And this, here's what I want to start with, this call for a holy life. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and what? Much trembling. Let's be honest. Uh, my assumption was that when I came here and the church called me as pastor, that this was nowhere in the job description. That the church was looking for a pastor of weakness, of fear, and much trembling. Let's be honest, there's often times when we want Saul, but what we really need is David. We need a man after God's own heart. And so here it is, the Apostle Paul, this great father of our faith, this, this great man of the New Testament who wrote 13 books, more, more books in the New Testament than anyone else. This great Apostle Paul who would lead the church in evangelism. This Apostle Paul that God would use to birth churches is a man that's known to be in weakness, and fear, and much trembling. Why? First, I think we start with the weakness. There's a weakness in a holy man or a holy woman of God who never ever forgets the fact that we are battling perpetually our sinful nature. That there is a desire within all of us, a sinful desire, this work of the flesh, that is a much weakness, that we are constantly having to battle the work of the flesh. To say no to these sinful thoughts, no to these sinful desires, no to these things that are contrary to God's Word and His will, and indeed the Spirit's own conviction. We are always battling this weakness. Paul writes to Timothy in his final letter and talks to him about a house. And he says, listen, there are things in a house for honorable use and dishonorable. And we might contextualize that to say that if you and I walked into your house, my assumption is that you might have some plates that are probably paper plates or if you came to our house we have kid plates with smiley faces on them my assumption is if my wife invites you over to eat this afternoon she's probably not going to pull out the smiley face plates for you the paper plates i don't know if it's going to be china or some type of finer dining but my assumption is you won't be eating off of a napkin and paul uses this example why to say listen there are two different types of leaders in the church there are two different types of people some that are honorable and some that are dishonorable listen to what he says now in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also those, again, gold and silver, those honorable, 
but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. And look what he says. He uses that parallel to call us to a holy life. Look at what he says. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. A call to cleanse ourselves, right? And you might be asking, well, what's he even talking about being dishonorable? Well, further he'll say in verse 22 that flee these youthful passions, these passions of the flesh. These are dishonorable, he says. These things also further, he says, in verse 23, those who pursue controversies and quarrels. In verse 16 and others there in 2 Timothy, we hear about the fact that there are leaders who are constantly babbling and, and sharing false truth and not being faithful to text. Paul says these are all things that are dishonorable. We are called to cleanse ourselves. Why? Look what it says here. He will be a vessel for honorable use. And then three adjectives to define the life of this person. Set apart as holy. Useful to the master of the house. And ready for every good work. I can't imagine there is even one true born again believer in this house that does not desire to be useful to be ready, right? To be set apart. These are all three things that are happening. Why? Because we are, there's a cleansing work in our lives. We want to be transformed, to be like Christ, that we might be set apart, that we would be useful, that we would be ready, that God would be able to use us. And the question is, how? How do we get to a place of cleansing of ourselves? And the reminder continually in Scripture is, it's not of your own strength. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul would say to the church at Rome in Romans 8 and 13, but he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice it's by the Spirit you put to death the works of the flesh. These sinful desires, you can't overcome it, but the Spirit can. Paul writes to the church at Galatians, Galatians 5 and 16, and says, he tells them there, he compels them, he says, if you walk by the Spirit and you will no longer gratify the desires of the flesh, And then he says that, listen, the flesh and the spirit are opposition with one another. There's a collision that's happening internally. The flesh desires one thing. The spirit says, honor and exalt Christ. And he says they are constantly at war. And the only way to overcome it is not by the best you, but by the power of Christ in you. And he says there's a cleansing work that then we would be set apart, useful and ready So I call you, brothers and sisters, do you desire to be useful and ready to the Master? If so, there's a call for cleansing, a work of the Spirit. But Paul says he was not only with them in weakness. Further, remember he said that I was also with them in fear. There ought to be a holy fear upon our lives. Paul, Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 1. Look what he says. Pick Pick up with me if you would, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And then look at this. And if, and some translations render it there, since, and since or if you call on him as father. Look what it says here. This father who judges what? Impartially. And then look what he says here. According to what? Each one's deeds. Just listen. There ought to be a fear in our lives because we all know we will stand and be judged. Look, he says there, conduct yourselves with what? With fear. He says this ought to move us to a holy fear to realize there's a holy God who will judge us throughout the time of your exile. He's talking about the entirety of your life here. 
Some of you, there may have been a period of time where there was this fear of God and this desire to obey the things of Christ. But man, you have soon walked away from that. I can call you to come back. Let there be a holy fear. Why? Why would we even do this? Look what he says, verse 18 of 1 Peter 1. Knowing that. Here's your reason. You were ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers. You were ransomed from that. Ransomed how? Not with perishable things such as silver and gold. He says, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's blood paid your, your penalty on the cross. Will that not move your heart for obedience? Does it not place a holy fear on you that a God of perfection and holiness would love someone like you and me? Peter says it ought to move us to live a holy life. And though there is the great apostle Paul with them in weakness and fear, but also he said there further in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 2, I was with you in much trembling. We ought to all tremble that according to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 that we have even been called in the fellowship of God. Called in the fellowship of His Son. Look further with me though. Before any of us think too highly of ourselves, like of course God would call me, of course He would want me. Listen to what Paul says to the church about this calling. For consider your calling, brothers. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. He says, I want you to know who's on God's team, though. But God chose, and this is how he defines us, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. It is a reminder to us all that God wasn't getting the A-team when he got us. We are all the people at the last of the line in kickball. That's it. Some of you are not little brothers here, but if you are a little brother or sister, you know what it feels like to be the last person picked. And everybody's like, well, I guess you got your brother, but you know, right? They saw my brothers. I guess you got him, right? And you run out there like the little pipsqueak. And you're like, he's like, just stay out of the way, right? Paul says, listen, guys, we're the last in the line. And yet God in His great grace and love has called and chosen you. Why? Why? He tells you. Again, just an interpretive clue. Verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 1. So that no human being might what? Boast in the presence of God. None of us can boast. None of us can boast. It's the presence of God. And listen, that ought to cause all of us here to tremble. None of us is worthy. God, foolish, weak, low, despise not. You say, Blake, you're tearing me down. No, I'm building you up. I'm letting you know your true identity before a holy God. And yet this God loves you and wants you. That ought to make you just feel at freedom, at peace. That someone fully knows you as you are and yet loves you as you are. That ought to set your soul free. One final example of this call to a holy life is in Paul's words further to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says in verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Further with me, verse 7. But we have this treasure, this salvation, in what? In jars of clay. He says, we have this divine treasure in earthly pots. We have this salvation. We are weak. 
It ought to cause us to tremble. Look at us and what God would place within us. His Holy Spirit. That's what he says to the church. First Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? Therefore, honor God with your body. It says your life. Why is God there? Why is this treasure in jars of clay? Paul just further says it again, just to further maybe nail in the coffin of this call for all of us to ho- for a holy life. Look what he says. To show that. Here's why. To show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God and not what? Not to us. That ought to move each of us in your sharing of the gospel and your living of the gospel to realize that it's not of your own power or strength. The power does not belong to us. It is not within us. It is not like you've got to set some power free. He says, I want you to know the one thing and only thing that will change and transform you from the inside out. It is the power of God's Holy Spirit in you. That's why it is impossible to live the holy life apart from God. Otherwise, it is simply religiosity. We've become modern day Pharisees, rule keepers. I want you to know that you do not have to live a life in bondage of trying to obey the rules well enough. You can come to the cross and if the Son has set you free, what? You are free indeed. There is freedom to live and serve, not because you have to, but because the Spirit of God is in you and He makes you want to. It's a total transformation. It will be a total transformation for your family, for you individually, for this church. If just you. I'm not talking about the other person in your pew. I'm saying specifically you today. If the Spirit of God in you did the work, and not because you had to serve, but because God in His great grace toward you would love you as you are, moves you to want to serve, to want to share the gospel at work tomorrow. Not because that's what the Christian thing simply is to do. I get that. But something more than that. That we love those. So there's a call for a holy life. Secondly, there is the reminder that, brothers and sisters, we have a holy text. Listen to what Paul says again, back to 1 Corinthians 2, our main text for today. And I, he says, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Look what he says here, with lofty speech or wisdom. Fast forward with me, verse 4. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul says, I have something greater than the world's wisdom. I have something greater than the last church growth strategy. I have something that is better than some insider knowledge. He says, I want you to know what it is. He Look what he says here, how he defines it. Verse 1, it's the testimony of God. What is the testimony of God? He says, well, further it in verse 2 there, it is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, listen, we have a holy text and that is enough. That is enough for your family. You don't have to keep searching, wondering, well, what might we do as a family? You have the holy text. You have God's breathed out word. You have enough. Don't wonder about what might I do to to better get more people in my Sunday school class. Might if I did this? There are things we can do, absolutely. But hold fast to this text. Don't abandon it. Some of you, God will call and raise you up to preach. And there will be times when you wonder, what's going on here? And the temptation will be to buy the bait and do other things. I compel you, in the words of the Apostle Paul, you have the very testimony of God. Hold fast, man of God. Hold fast to this word. It was so tempting. 
It is so tempting. Hold fast to the word of God. Well, why is Paul not using lofty speech or wisdom? Do we truly have God's word? It's great to say that, but do we actually have it? Listen to what Peter says, Second Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 19 of Second Peter. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. Peter says you need to pay attention to this word. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, look what he says. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The biblical authors are what we call inspired. Uh, you heard it there. Um, Billy Graham used the word illumination. We're going to come to that just in a moment. You heard it in the Baptist faith and message that we confirm that these words that we read here are inspired. But what does that even mean? The word inspiration, this doctrine, is an indication that there is an overseeing work of the Holy Spirit. That yes, they were real people as they wrote, these human authors, but this scripture, the, the Spirit was at work in them in such a way that what we have recorded in this is indeed the very words of God. This is not someone's own interpretation. You are hearing from God Himself when you hear this word. Do you understand that? It's been said before, but it needs to be reminded again. This is the only book that you will ever open where the author is always present. This is a living book, beloved. More than words on a page. And be careful. Hebrews 4 and 12 reminds us this word is living and active, indeed sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating, dividing, joint and marrow, soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Spoiler alert, this word will cut you. It will cut you, but it cuts to heal. No prophecy of Scripture, he says, some, comes from someone's own interpretation. So wh wh while we do have the Holy Spirit, right, as believers, we are not inspired as they were, right? That inspiration that happened as those men wrote and carried along these 66 books, that is a completed process. But what we have is an illuminating work. Billy Graham was referring to that. This illuminating work that allows us to hear what is the true truth of this text. And we're going to see it in a moment. The work of the Spirit is to illuminate ultimately Christ. It is the point to His death, burial, and resurrection. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received as of first importance, this I pass also on to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised again according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures will continually, Old Testament to New Testament, point to Jesus Christ. Everything is looking to Him. He is the fulfillment. He is the hope of everything. Everything in the text. And so the Spirit is going to continually illuminate that along your path. How do I come to this interpretation or thought? Well, a couple of verses John 16, Jesus himself speaking about the Spirit. He says in verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, the Spirit of truth, He will guide you what? Into all the truth. The Spirit's work is to guide you and I into all the truth, not into lies or deception. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And further, look at this secondly, verse 14 of John 16. He will what? He's going to glorify Jesus. The Spirit's work is continually and perpetually to glorify Jesus Christ. So as you and I come to the text, we are, we are, we are trusting in the Spirit to illuminate the text to us, to point to Christ, to guide us into the truth, and to cause us to worship and serve and desire to obey and to surrender and to realize that He's worth getting rid of the dishonorable practices of our life. There's a move of God's Spirit in and through His Word. Return back to me, though, just for a moment with First Peter 1. Again, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Why? Well, look what he says, verse 21, 4. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This isn't simply just some men wrote this. You'd say, well, I, how could people even wonder that? I constantly battle in my own home. I got a kiddo that continually comes back and just says, that's just man's word. I don't know if you're spending time in your family sharing the gospel, but I want you to know there's objections in your own home if you aren't. Our own children are battling against us. Why? Their flesh is saying that's not true. And so I realize, guess what? I can't open his eyes. I can't cause him to see this is really God's word, Riff. God, it's God's word to you, bro. It's his love to you. But I know that there is a work of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ that will do something that no dad, no mom, no grandparent here, no brother, no friend, no neighbor, none of us can do. It's a work of God's Spirit and God delights to do it. But we got to open this word up. It is a holy text. So he says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. So men are speaking. We are not empty robots. God uses, as the, the, the writers wrote, guess what? He used their personality, their experiences, their place in history. That Some of them have unique vocabulary, different styles of writing. That's why the books look so different. Why? Because if you and I saw the same incident that happened right in front of the church, my assumption is today if even four of us wrote, we'd all write it in some type of different variation. But the core of the message is persistently Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So men are speaking and it's a reminder, guess what? God wants to use you. God wants to use your unique place and time. God uses, for some of you, some really bad, dark stuff in your past. Not just simply mistakes you made. I'm saying bad, dark stuff that's happened that maybe you didn't have any control over. And you've had to walk a really dark path. I want you to know that that's part of your story. I know it's part that you probably would wish was written out and somebody else's story, not yours. But I want you to know that God will use the uniqueness of your story to impact and call others to come and follow His Son. So these men spoke from God. Notice that it's from God. This is God's Word. Breathed out, right? 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all Scripture is what? It's God-breathed, breathed out by God. So as we come, listen, brothers of you, those that are preaching God's words, you're preaching the very words of God. Church, today you're not hearing merely the words of a man. You're hearing the words of the living God. Individuals, as you open up God's word in your alone time with him, realize you are hearing words coming from God. Parents, 
grandparents, as you disciple and pour in in your own home, realize this is God's word. And further, look what it says here. Well, how do we know that men, it was not just simply men speaking someone's own interpretation? How do we know it was truly from God? Look what he says here. Because they were carried along by what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit was there at work, transforming, guiding, so that what we have in this Word of God is not a mixture of errors or perceived truth, little t truth. We have big T, capital truth. Because the Spirit of God was guiding these men. Yes, unique, but God was guiding them that what they were writing was truly, therefore, a holy text. So we have a call for a holy life. We have a holy text. And thirdly, there is the work of the Holy Spirit. There's the work of the Holy Spirit. I guess before we get there, maybe just some reminders. The Puritans called this work of the Holy Spirit that uncertain unction. George Whitfield called it, that great 1700s preacher, thunder and lightning. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to it as an access of power. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, called it this sacred anointing. However we may define it, let us be certain we all desperately need it. We need the work of the Spirit as we preach, as we teach, as we disciple in our home, as we share the gospel at Walmart or wherever you may be. We desperately all need the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to be up front with you. The word that you share in the eyes of the world is maybe not what you recognize. Maybe it is. Listen how the world defines the Bible that you believe in and the gospel that you share. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1. The word of the cross is folly. Some tracks read it foolishness. The word behind each of these is this simply this. It's moronic. What you believe according to the world makes you a moron or a fool. That'll build a church. And that's why it's a reminder of the work of the Spirit. Because otherwise, there's no way any of us would believe this. We would not be so foolish. This would be a crutch. It's a work of the Spirit to say, this is the truth. But he says, I want you to know, Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, under the work of the Holy Spirit, under the Spirit's inspiration. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Further, look at verse 21. It pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. And the Gentiles believe that's foolishness. Verse 25, the foolishness of God. So what are we to do with the fact that we have what the world perceives as foolishness, moronic? What are we to do with this? Look what Paul said in verse 17 here in 1 Corinthians 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Why, Paul? Lest the cross of Christ, what? Be emptied of its power. Be certain of this. The moment that we take away the foolishness of the gospel. Because we don't think it fits for our culture. Or they're not going to perceive it well. I want you to be certain of what's going to happen. Paul says the moment that you and I stop sharing the truth of the gospel. Even this foolishness. The foolishness that the son of God would die on the cursed cross. Paul says the moment that you take the gospel truth out of it. I want you to know you also empty it of its power. The moment that we stop sharing the truth of this gospel, the moment that you compromise on your job site or in your home, 
I want you to know that we're also losing the very power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel to save. Paul writes back here in 1 Corinthians 2 and he says, listen guys, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This demonstration that Paul alludes to is interesting. We're not sure exactly what he's implying. There may be indeed apostolic signs, signs, miracles, wonders that were a part of the apostles' message affirming the fact, right? They didn't have the Bible. They couldn't open it up and say, well, would you turn with me politely to Colossians chapter 3? They didn't have it, right? The Old Testament, even the scrolls they had were in very limited number. And so many people didn't have access to even God's word. Do you realize how blessed you are that you live in a place in history in which you have access to both the Old and the New Testament? I don't think we do. I know Brother Todd shared about, I mean, you walk into Africa and you look around the church and nobody has a Bible and then you realize that's why so many people are believing false things. They don't even have access to God's Word. Stay the course, C.W. and the Gideons. Stay the course. This word must go to all nations. And God's going to send many of you to take it there. But he says there's a demonstration. There's some type of proof, evidence, verification that there's a work of the Spirit. I heard an old preacher once say, listen, when we get in the presence of a man of God preaching the word of God, and the Spirit of God begins to work, there's a tearing, a ripping factor that we experience. A conviction the Spirit of God begins to do in our lives. And you say, well, Blake, if this is the case, if the Spirit's at work in such a way, then maybe it just sounds like maybe we might just be robots. Paul says, no, Second Corinthians 5. Verse 11, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, he calls us to persuade others. Further, fast forward, I know time's come. Verse 20. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through you. And so therefore, look what he says. We implore you on behalf of Christ. What? Be reconciled to God. So we're not absent. We're not just some hollow structure which the spirits, the spirit is using you. Your story, your life experiences, your passion, even our mistakes. God is using those for good to glorify His Son and draw all people unto Him. Let us go in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And then I'll leave you with this as we close. I want you to rest in this. Paul says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Why is Paul not following the rhetoric of the day? Why is he not following the way that other people that were known as great speakers? Why is he not preaching and teaching like them? Listen, he says, there was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Here's the reason why. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of any preacher, man, Sunday school teacher, mom, dad, grandma, grandparent, but that your faith would rest in the very power of God. Is that not where we want our children? Is that not where you want your grandchildren? Sunday school teachers, they're not where you want your class. You're not going to be able to walk with them Monday through Saturday. But man, give them God's Word. And by the power of God's Spirit, God's Spirit will give them the strength through Christ to glorify Him, to honor Him, and to put off dishonorable practices. Paul says, man, it is not so that your faith would rest even in the great Apostle Paul. I come 
to share the gospel, that your faith would rest in the very power of God, the gospel. So what is the Spirit doing in this as we close? Our musicians make their ways. Here's today's invitation response. It's verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Same book, just a few chapters later. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And let's be honest, I don't know a man or woman in this room that's not some part of this list. And then you hear the blessed hope of the gospel and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is why we live and share the gospel. It's the only thing that will cleanse you. It's the only thing that will cleanse those that you love and care about. It is the only hope for Camp Crossway. It is the only hope for Honduras or Africa. It is the only hope for Kentucky Changers. It is the only hope for Green County. It is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God. Let's go take it. Come on. It is time. Today, how is God moving you? Is there a lack of holiness in your life? Come and call out for the Spirit to clean and transform you. Are you doubting that this is indeed a holy text? Confess that. Repent of it. Say, God, I'm sorry. And then call out for the Spirit to begin to illuminate this truth to you. Are you living the Spirit's power? If not this morning, bow your knee and say, Oh God, would you feel me? Would you feel me? Peter needed it. Do you? Acts 2, Peter receives the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts 4 says later, that guess what? Peter was filled again with the Holy Spirit. So there's a one-time sealing. The Spirit comes upon us, but there is an ongoing filling of the Spirit. If Peter needed it, how much more us? A holy life, a holy text, and the Holy Spirit. What does God want to do with you? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Christ, it is my hope and greatest joy that Your Spirit would do a thousand million things beyond anything I could even ask or imagine or hope. So, Lord God, I just pray that as Your Word, the Holy Text, has gone forth today, that Your Spirit has just been illuminating in the lives of Your people and those that You love and desire to become Your people. Call out those today, God, that they might be washed, they would be experience Your love, Your grace, Your Spirit. Man, God, just do all the things that I... Oh, man, Lord, I just desire so bad. I love these people so much, God. Oh, I want them to experience and know Your love and the power of Your Spirit and to believe Your Word. I can't even change the eight-year-old at my house, God. How much bless these people. I just trust in You, God. Please do what I could never do. Open all of our eyes. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.